Hello, and welcome to the Gundam Sentinel Podcast. My name is Gordon, and I'll be your host of this limited run series. Gundam Sentinel is a side story set in the Universal Century timeline of Mobile Suit Gundam. I've always loved this IP, and I wanted to share my love analysis of this with you. This does, however, contain spoilers for other works in the Universal Century timeline, so be warned. I hope you guys enjoy. Chapter 5 A Dream for the Moon Air City was created as an observation base on the far side of the moon. Over time, it developed in a booming economy. Most of the residents are descendants of the observation posts, but still many wanted to return to Earth. But according to the novel, the location of the city precluded ever actually seeing the Earth. The residents grew attached to the Earth despite never seeing it and believed in Earth's superiority. It was peculiar in comparison to other autonomous lunar cities, as they believed in the independence and autonomy of colonies. During the Grips War, the residents in preparation of their defensive capabilities mobilized reserve troops and formed a police force called the Iyer City Militia. Naturally, since they believed in Earth Noia supremacy, they allied with the Titans and gave them a supply base. Once the AIG won, the defeated Iyer City Militia and Titans troop returned to the base defeated and humiliated. The mayor of the city, Kaiser Pinefield, gave citizenship to all troops who had become seeking shelter. He also refused the Earth Federation's request for extradition, as they would be interfering with the politics of an autonomous city. Mike Saltame worked behind the scenes. His true name and origin were not well known, but worked in a shroud of mystery behind its political intrigue. Saltame was ordered by Cray to find individuals on the Earth and Moon who would side with the new decides, like Admiral Ayano. He was not a mobile suit pilot, but was an intelligence officer who got his start in the Federation Forces Department of Intelligence. Unlike others in the city, his homeland was Side 3. This was beyond the far side of the moon. Originally, he was known as the Principality of Zeon, but was renamed the Republic of Zeon. He thought to himself that one day, the motherland shall regain its former glory. He changed his identity to an officer in the Federation whose unit had been destroyed. Following the Unyear War, the Federation stepped up its efforts to eliminate the Xeon. However, ironically, elements of Xeon were able to infiltrate the Federation. After eight years, the old Xeon forces changed their name to Neo-Xeon. Amon Khan was the true leader of the Neo-Xeon, but Mineva Zabi, the last remaining member of the Zabi family, was kept as a figurehead. Salatame's true wish was to see the Federation weaken and Neo-Xeon resort to the strength of the old principality. Task Force Alpha and the Moon Orbital Fleet were able to escape the destruction of Peasant, but not without some consequence. consequence. Both fleets sustained damage to several cruisers. The Moon Orbital Fleet proceeded to dock at Site 2, a nearby colony to make repairs, since they proceeded at maximum velocity to be able to fight the Battle of Peasant. They did not have enough fuel and needed more. Task Force Alpha received new orders to pursue the new Decides fleet. They could not wait or fall further behind. The two additional fleets sent to address the new Decides threat were stationed at Penta, awaiting final confirmation of new Decides location so that it could be dispatched to address the threat. March 10th, Universal Century 0088. Heathrow was engaged with the computer playing a game of chess in his room. He swapped the position of the king and rook piece and made a casting move. The king was able to retreat to a safer position. In his mind, this mirrored what the new decides actually did, by sacrificing peasant in exchange for an opportunity to escape. 
However, in his mind, he wondered, where were they heading? If Pazin represented the Rook, the King represented the Deodicite's troops, then Ionos' fleets would be the sneaky knight. The algae held up pretty well, as the knight was highly mobile and could make several different moves. His doorbell chimed softly. Captain Mannings was at the door and asked if he could enter. Heathrow unlocked the door and allowed him in. Mannings wanted to discuss something of a personal nature. He said it may or may not affect the strategies going forward, but he knew someone on the opposing side. This did pique Heathrow's interest and figured offering a bottle of Navy rum from Universal Century to below 12 would make him feel more comfortable. Spirits were generally forbidden, but was available as a seasickness medication or spirit lifter since Old Navy vessels of the old century. Mannings decided as he did not drink. Mannings proceeded to elaborate that they served in the same unit during the One Year War and had a sharp mind, and that he would talk about building an independent country that aligned with his beliefs. He would even publish articles in magazines, including one include, entitled The True Spirit of the Colonies. He argued that space colonies were only man-made islands of space that lacked the economic foundation when compared to Earth and could not be their equal. As the discussion continued, the two agreed that likely the king or nudicides were most likely headed to the moon. Heathrow continued saying that the nudicides were anti-federation, but unlike Xi'an, were against space immigration. He added that they have another chess piece at their disposal over the night. He figured that since he betrayed the federation, and the moon orbital fleet was sent to the battle peasant, that the moon was defenseless and the previous skirmishes at side four made it easier for the nudicides to move troops to the moon. Moreover, the troops at side three were not able to be called into action because of the looming, looming threat from Neo-Zeon forces. Heather asked Mannings what the man's name was. He is Tosh Craig. Could you tell me more about him? Meanwhile, the new decides fleets head towards the southern hemisphere of the moon. INL's fleet had previously engaged with the Federation forces at side four. They were not headed directly for the moon, but were hiding at Lagrange Point One to perform needed repairs and waiting for the revival, arrival of the king to the moon in order to rendezvous. Wreckage from one year war and density of Minovsky particles made this an excellent spot to hide, and the only way to navigate through the region is by visuals only. During the engagement with the side four forces, the Panama and the Dortmund were lost. This did serve as a blow to their overall strength. The Admiral received word that the peasant had exploded. He was also informed that it was likely self-destructed, and the new decides were able to escape the new government's pursuit. The name new government was of course in a pejorative manner, as none of Aino's forces recognized the position or power of the current government. The officer continues to report that they were unable to contact the new decide forces. Ina was unsure if new decides had known that he had defected and did not want to fight against his allies. March 12th, 0088. As the new decides fleet approached the moon, they increased their alert level, unaware that the moon orbital fleet had already been sent to Peasant. They were expecting a welcome from them. Hey, have all the assault squadrons finished their launch preparation? Cod paces helmet of his normal suit against Craze and asked. They finished their assignment 15 minutes ago without any problem. What about that Zeku? Has it been adjusted? And why do you ask? Ha <laughs> ha. 
Frey carefully observed Claude's expression hidden by his helmet. You haven't sorted in quite a while. You're just itching to go out, aren't you? Cod was elated at the prospect of fighting and showed his excitement on the face, on his face, rather, like a child who just got a new toy. Cray had to, had to remind him that he was the leader of the new decides and was too valuable to die in a meaningless battle. Cray's tone was similar to that of a company CEO. The Earth Federation forces were, were comparable to a gigantic corporate enterprise. It was as if a small business was competing with a monopoly. The only way to win was to unite the nucleus of the conviction within the company. Cray Strong believed in applying this philosophy to the new decides. The new decides forces arrived at the moon and still did not see any sign of the moon orbital fleet. They maintained high alert as they entered orbit. They detected laser transmissions. After matching signals, they re- realized that the signals came from side, four vi- side four's vector. It was a text message that said, We no longer recognize the Earth Federation government and strongly believe justice resides with the new decides faction. Please form up my troops and permit us to enter with, into a battle together. The center's name was that of Earth Federation Forces Admiral Brian Iano. Cray, who normally was reserved, became elated when he realized Salatine was successful and that the new decides would not fight alone. It was at this point they contacted Iris City to obtain permission to land. Initially, they were delayed by a port control officer. However, Mayor Kaiser Pinefield told the officer to allow them to land. He wanted to appease the citizens who were disappointed in the retreat of the Iris City militia flying Operation Maelstrom. Brave Cod, the head new decides were discussing with the mayor the future plans. The militia had four crews along with the six cruisers of the new decides and the ex-dispatch fleet. However, Cray reminded him that despite their vast capabilities, it would not rival that of the new government's forces. Cod reminded him that the victory in the battlefield is based on strategy and not weapons alone. He also said that Aino had a new mobile suit, which was the Mark V. Cod was hopeful that a Lunar City coalition could be created by unifying all the peoples of the moon under one banner and be able to oppose the new government. Cod felt that when an excellent mobile suit and pilot are paired together, that one man becomes capable of changing the entire situation in the battlefield like Amro Ray did during the One Year War. If you were to give an equally good suit, I could achieve the same results. Task Force Alpha got word that new decides had appeared in lunar, lunar orbit. The two fleets at Penta had departed, but would not arrive for two more days. The moon was located between Grange Points L4 and L5, which gazed at each other from afar. At L5 was the military stronghold Compe Island, which was near Side 1. This is formerly Zeon's space fortress Solomon during the One Year War. The attached fleet was there to observe Axis' action, and was not free to roam. Heath were headed from the bridge and wanted to create a plan to disrupt the new decides. He wanted to attack before they had a chance to set up their defenses and felt that they could rival the Iron City militia vessels, new decide mobile suits and vessels. He felt it would allow them to descend and control the city along with securing a landing zone. The pilots in the brief room started to laugh when they heard this. Lieutenant Chung Young asked what would they do about the likely approaching fleet of the bald eagle. Heathrow felt that it would still be in repairs and were too far away, and did not pose an immediate threat. Another officer asked what if the Ets Depatch fleet had established communication with the Instructor Corps. That's doubtful, because the new decides had originally planned to remain stationed at Peasant. Of course, that, of course that's all changed when the Escon destroyed Saul, Heathrow countered. 
The pallets felt a load lifted off their shoulders upon hearing this. Roots, as one can imagine, who was there, did not feel that the plan was okay and felt it was tantamount to suicide at the say-so of his commanding officers. Chung Young, obviously, and then he got into an argument. Mangs had to interject. So he interrupted the argument. Easy now. I wouldn't send any of you off to die. The squadron in charge of the primary assault will consist of the S Gundam, Zeta Plus Squadron, and Fast Squadron. Your objective is to take out the enemy ships. The other mobile suit squadrons will be stationed around the fleet in a standard formation to intercept enemy mobile suits. The operation will commence in 1000 hours, Earth Standard Time on the 13th. I wish all of you success. The battle will take place in the same atmosphere in which Roots had antagonized various mobile suit squadrons. The number 13 in West numerology was an unlucky one. To Task Force Alpha, it was an avoidable ill omen. Later in the day, at Earth Standard Time 0400 hours, Ino's fleet was able to establish communication with their comrades on the moon. Task Force Alpha made a grave mistake and would face a powerful and combined fleet. With the bull run approaching Iowa City's spaceport with a hangar full of GM-3s, the Kilimanjaro of the new decides was approached. Aino sent a message to Captain Cod. Captain Cod, it's been quite some time since we last met after the last battle of the war. The voice from the laser transmitted message was heard on board the Kilimanjaro's bridge. Aino also raised his hand salute. Cod was reminded of the problem moment back during the one-year war when he received a command of a fleet from Aino. I brought everyone the Iris City Militia and the new decides a little gift. It's the much rumored new weapon type. From that moment, Task Force Alpha had lost the chance to independently control the flow of the battle. March 13th, Universal Century 0088, 0-100 hours. The S Gundam and the fleet's other mobile suits had begun their attack. Among them, more than half were Nero's. Fifteen suits were retained to defend the fleet accounting for one-third of the total number of mobile suits deployed. The other mobile suits headed towards the new decides fleet. Only 15 or half of the mobile suits in this group were equipped to land on the moon's surface. In addition to wiping out the enemy ships, Iowa City needs to be resuppressed before the arrival of INO's fleet. However, they did not understand what kind of fate awaited them. The tragedy first befell the nine Euro suits from the 112th Company, part of the assault force when the leading Nero suddenly expanded and exploded into a ball of fire. The Nero squadrons realized they were caught in an ambush. The remaining Neros on the 12th company were all destroyed. A blue mobile suit with white painted stripes appeared through the wreckage, a Gundam. Two small circular discs flew back onto the Gundam's shoulder. The discs docked into their storage racks and its eyes flashed a demonic glare. This was the item that had bared the new G equipment code. It was a new mobile suit, commonly known as the G5. The official name the Federation forces given the suit was Gundam Mark V. Licking his lips, Cod spoke a brief afterthought. So, this is the Ancon system. It's really something. Back on the Pegasus 3 bridge screen, the IFF signal for the G5 disappeared. Frantic calls to ask what happened to 112 uh, company units were fired back and forth. Heathrow realized that they were ambushed and thought, could this be the IRC militia? And then realized that was not likely. He could only think of one explanation. Iono's fleet was here. Order all troops to change their invasion routes. Heathrow stood up and yelled. 
Due to lack of gravity and the way he roughly stood up, the fleet commander began to float around the bridge. We can't! To maximize the raised chance of success, orders being already given to maintain radio silence, the communication officers replied, causing everyone to turn pale. This week, we're going to cover two mobile suits. First is Nouvelle GM3, codename RGM86R. Its armor is based off of a titanium alloy ceramic composite and gondalium composite. Overall height is 18.6 meters, head height of 18.42 meters, body weight of 42.3 tons. When fully equipped, it goes up to 68.2 tons. Power generator is able to produce 1,620 kilowatts. Mobile range, uh, rather mobile rocket thrusters produce out of four a total of 20,300 kilograms per thruster. Added to control range of total 10. A sensor effective radius of 10,900 meters. And for fixed armaments, it has 60 millimeter Vulcans, where two are located on the head, and two standard beam sabers with an output of 0.9 megawatts each. The original GM was a mobile suit developed by the Earth Federation forces during the One Year War as a simple mass-produced model of the RX-78 Gundam. Following the One Year War, a minor spec bump with improved output, introduction of the linear seat system, and strengthened armors and sensors were the basis for the creation of the GM-2. However, by the time the Grips War broke out, the GM-2 had already become an inferior unit and was used mainly as support mobile suit only. You can see how its performance was in the first episode of Zeta Gundam. This Nouvelle GM-3, however, is equipped with a stronger generator than the GM-2. Along with it, a number of chest ducts have increased a total of four, making it easier to identify compared to the standard GM-2 or GM-3 for that matter. As for the head, a newly designed one was created with improved Vulcan supply and sensor enhancements were able to be accomplished. This made the Nouvelle GM-3 superior to the GM-2 and 3. In other words, the performance had improved even to the model, even though it does have some of the characteristics of the Gundam Mark II. And it can be said that it shares some of the same design elements as the Barzam, also seen during the Grip Swarm of the Titans, which is also born as a mass-produced model of the Gundam Mark II. And the miscalculation for the AUG was the poor cost performance of the Nemo. After the Grip Swarm, the Nemo's production line was closed and the Nouvelle GM3 became the main production machine. To reduce the cost of late production of Nouvelle GM3s, the GM, uh, rather generator, is equipped with the same type as a Nemo and is again active as a general purpose machine. This late production continues to be deployed as a main unit used in Lunar 2 until near Universal Century 0093. It also has a sample of the excellence of the RX 78, which has the same basic design for the 15 years since the birth of the GM. Spoiler. The GM-3, rather the Nouvelle GM-3, appears to be a form of inspiration for the power GM seen in Gundam 0083. Remember, Katoki did a mechanical design for both Gundam Sentinel and Gundam 0083. Although it wasn't actually described specifically in the uh, Gundam Sentinel, um, I guess, Bible, it is also clear that the Nouvelle GM-3 possessed multiple missiles uh, that were able to be launched in a salvo-type fashion. Uh, and they were mounted on either shoulder. Now, for that special mobile suit that was described at the end of this chapter, the Gundam Mark V, codename ORX-013. 
The overall height is 25.42 meters. Head height is 22.8 meters. The body weight dry at 39 tons, but can be maxed out at 38, rather 85 tons at 0.31. Uh, and power generator output of 5,320 kilowatts. It has two thrusters able to produce each 3,340 kilograms, and an additional two of 2,220 kilograms each. 10 control verniers and its effective sensor range of 12,000 meters. Its armor is that of a Gundalium composite. Its fixed armament had uh, two back beam cannons with an output of 12 megawatts and two beam savers with a standard output of 0.9 megawatts and two incons, both shoulder mounted at 44.5 megawatts each. And by the potential of the psycho gun that was featured in the data gun number of the Grips War, where its codename is MRX009. Um, despite this fascination, they could not increase the number of production of this particular unit due to various factors specific to creation of cyber new types as pilots and the astonishingly high cost of manufacturing this giant mobile suit. Therefore, the development cost was largely allocated to the quasi. Psychomo system being developed by the Augusta Research Laboratories. We'll talk a little bit about this in a second. And the development of the mobile suit equipped with the system was requested. The system was easy to maintain and replace, and of course, it was large, uh, had a large size reduction, which able to reduce the cost. The result of this resulted in the creation of the Gundam Mark V. It had a wire typed quasi Psychomo system uh, that was uh, guided and it's called the INCOM and both these were mounted uh, on either shoulder. This INCOM is a system that enables ordinary pilots to control uh, weapons similar to the Psychomo, just like the S Gundam. Previously, this capability was only available to new types and cyber new types. However, Titans, who were ordered development uh, requisition the, the, by the Federal Army in development, was continued. Its appearance is a form that does not resemble what is called the Gundam. And the concept of this machine is completely equivalent to the past types of um, Gundam-type mobile suits. Another characteristic of this unit, it has a large thruster on the shield and is used as a booster when accelerating in outer space. Zeta Gundam Spoiler. Besides, three units were created. One that was sent to Axis by the guide of Dr. Lauren Nakamoto of the Murasame Institute who pledged allegiance to Axis after the Grips War. It served as a basis for the AMX-014 Dovenwolf seen in Double Zeta Gundam, Gundam Unicorn, and Gundam Narrative Spoiler. The ARX-14 Silver Bullet and the ARX-014S Silver Bullet Suppressor are units that are descendants of the Dovenwolf, which are then in turn descendants of the Gundam Mark V. And, obviously, both were seen in both Gundam Unicorn and Gundam Narrative. Some online resources gave more detail with some spoilers for events seen later in uh, Gundam timeline. However, the Augusta Lab is one of the oldest new type research institutes of the Earth Federation. They develop various mobile suits as the NT-1, GP-04, GM Custom, and the GM Quell, along with some units that were seen in the Grips War, such as the Ashimar, Gaplant, Boundock, and other units that I will not reveal at this point that have a prominent role in later Gundam installments. For this week's deep dive, um, it's actually going to be fairly short, but we'll touch upon castling. Now I'll have to concede to my audience, as small or large as it may be, I do not actually play chess, but it was a fairly prominent topic in this chapter, so we'll talk a little bit about this move. 
if you're adept or know the rules of chess and you don't really want to really listen to this, you can skip ahead. Castling is a move in chess that allows a player's king and either the rooks, original rooks to be moved. It is the only move in chess where a player moves two pieces in the same move. Aside from this knight's move, castling is the only move where a piece can jump another piece. The move consists of moving the king two squares towards the rook, a rook rather, on the player's first rank, or known as a row on a chessboard, followed by moving the rook to the square over which the king crossed. This move is permissible only if the king and the rook were never moved, and the squares between them are unoccupied. Also, the king cannot be in check, translation where it's not under threat of capture or uh, under the from the opponent's next turn and does not cross over or end up on a square attacked by an enemy piece. It is considered a king move. This move was added to European chess around the 15th century, but did not develop in its present form until the 17th century. As a form of strategy, it's important as it moves the king to a safer position and the rook conversely is moved into a more active position in the center of the board. In regard to this episode, the new decides want to preserve the power of forces, aka the king, and allow its move to a point of safety, the moon in this case, and their highly vaunted peace place of power or peasant was the rook that allowed for them to escape harm. It was used as a sacrifice since moved, and allowed for the forces to move to moon and even link up with Admiral Ino's forces, aka the knight. As with every episode, there'll be some show notes that you can refer to uh, with references for everything that we talked about. Please check it out. Next episode, Chapter 6, The Logistic Bomb. The date is March 13th, Universal Century 0088. The Bald Eagle enters the battlefield and faces former student. The new decides in their competent mobile suits fiercely battle the Task Force Alpha. Also, Alice becomes more aware. Please be sure to check out the Twitter page at Gundam Sentinel 2, Instagram at Gundam Sentinel Podcast, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Gundam Sentinel Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and give a, read, a review on whatever means you listen to this podcast and tell your Gundam loving Otaku friend to check it out. Until next time.